Hello, everyone. Welcome back to our podcast, our last podcast in our series on Hebrews. Uh, I have a parallel uh, Bible loaded up in front of me and uh, Hebrews 13 in uh, the message, the ESV and the NIV have three completely different titles supplied by the translators or the editors. Obviously, they're extra biblical. Uh, So one of them in the message, it says Jesus doesn't change. And in the ESV, Hebrews 13 is apparently about sacrifices pleasing to God. And in the NIV, it's about concluding exhortations. So, <laughs> And in the new revised standard version, it's service well-pleasing to God. Right. Well, oh, I like that one. We're, we're going to have to arbitrate between these then as we, as we go through our discussion. Um, my name's Cameron. And I'm Ken. I'm Luke. And I'm Lachlan. This sounds fun. Now, you notice that we've been very efficient with our introductions there. That's because um, our listeners won't realise that this conversation started about 30 minutes ago, um, and we've only just now started recording on Hebrews. It was a conversation about all sorts of things uh, that had nothing to do with Hebrews. So, <laughs> Well, can nothing to do with Hebrews in the sense that it's, it's not the content is not reflected in the chapter that we're reading. Uh, but this chapter of Hebrews is about practical decisions that we make in our life to improve the world and uh, so there might be some overlap Uh, we were were discussing various elements of climate responsibility uh, before we started recording so it it might be that the author of hebrews were were they writing today would include some things on this list uh, that are not there in the original text but let's let's read through the chapter uh it's 25 verses so uh lock do you want to kick us off and uh, yep. are you re- which version are you reading from? I'm going to read from the NLT, which I think was not one of the ones that, that you listed off in the introduction. And what does the NLT subtitle this chapter with? Concluding words. So that's the closest it's one. It's fairly dull. Yeah, fairly dull, <laughs> unexciting. Here it is. Keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. Remember those in prison, as if you were there yourself. Remember also those being mistreated, as if you felt their pain in your own bodies. Give honour to marriage, and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. So we can say with confidence, The Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Uh, pause there, Locke. Uh, from the previous chapter, one of the things that mere people can do to you, or from chapter 11, is to saw you in half. Yeah, I do remember that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Um, so I don't think the author here is being naive or platitudinous, or the author's fully aware that a lot of Christians have hmm. some tough times. So that that puts a little different perspective on this phrase. The Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? I'll continue reading and I'll read from the uh, NIV. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It's good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us, then, 
go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we're looking for the city that is to come. Therefore let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. And don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. Just side note, that's that's a very direct echo of the Old Testament prophets. Mm. Um, sort of what sacrifices are pleasing to the Lord yeah. statement. Uh, while we're taking this aside, in my translation, that is not typeset as a quotation, as most of the other quotations in the Old Testament are, but it might as well almost be, Luke, if it's not word mm. for word, it's definitely thought for thought quotation of... It um, is, yes, it, 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 it's, it's not a quotation in mine either, but it is almost word for word mm. what's written in the Old Testament. Mm. Um, Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. That's an interesting one. Hmm. Pray for us, for our conscience is clear and we want to live honorably in everything we do. And especially pray that I will be able to come back to you soon. Over to you, Ken. I might, I might read this last, but I think it's my turn. Hmm. Oh, yes, you're right. Now may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood, may he equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he produce in you, through the power of Jesus Christ, every good thing that is pleasing to him. All glory to him forever and ever. Amen. I urge you, dear brothers and sisters, to pay attention to what I have written in this brief exhortation. I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released from jail. If he comes here soon, I will bring him with me to see you. Greet all your leaders and all the believers there. The believers from Italy send you their greetings. May God's grace be with you all. I love how the end of it is just, it's just some practical business. Yeah. Well, I, I could be wrong, but I under, like, it's almost like it's a margin note. It's almost like there's a Ooh. formal document being written and then someone's, then the, you know, realize, oh, there's a few other just more personal notes. I've just scrawled them on the bottom. <laughs> it's, it's, it's silly of me because what we have now, I mean, what we're doing right now with the video chat where we're all in different parts of the country and we could be in different parts of the world and this would all still work and we can talk directly with each other is is so fantastic um but i can't help but feel a little bit nostalgic for the type of communication that was done with letters hmm. where thoughts were put down with great care and at length you know and they were signed off with courtesies and and they were anticipated they were looked you know you can imagine with what sort of joy and excitement the arrival and reading of this letter mm. w would have been felt. Luke, I you know I um saw an article that was came up in my news feed and I glanced over it because it was a nice good news story and it was that a uh, a couple uh, who had moved internationally several times uh, and they were living in the UK but they they met and married in Australia were recently reunited with the love letters they shared while they were courting each other which they hadn't seen for thirty or forty years because they had forgotten. Uh, where they'd been placed, and they'd been placed in a safe deposit box at a bank. And the bank uh. had been auditing the safe deposit box and noticed this thing hadn't been taken out in 30 years and um, uh, tried to track them down. It took the bank a concerted effort to find them down and, and then sent them the letters. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, and uh, they they commented um, in the in the in to the journalist who was writing it up, you know, what, what a 
odd experience it was to to go through and read them all um <laughs> but they certainly came from an era where letter writing was a was a serious thing well, I get the feeling even in the New Testament, so obviously the New Testament is a thing for us precisely because letter writing was a thing. Hmm. Uh, a, a big chunk of the New Testament are epistles that have been written. Even in that context, though, I think Hebrews stands out as something a little bit special. That's how, that's how I feel it. And it's even more feel, feel that way after spending the last couple of months looking through it in, in perhaps a little bit more detail and certainly with more more fun uh, by doing it as a community than I've ever done before. Yeah. So the it's been more than just a letter, hasn't it? The, this, those last verses felt different precisely because what came before was a sustained and building argument that was put together in, I don't know, a more deliberate fashion or a more structured fashion or a more rigorous fashion perhaps than, than just a letter yeah. of, of catching up. Yeah, look, I'm thinking of the modern alternative, and I've turned to the first verse in Romans. And perhaps it would read something like, I, Paul, am a devoted slave of Jesus Christ on assignment, authorized as an apostle to proclaim God's words and acts. I'm publishing this vlog to all the believers yeah. in Rome, God's friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, comment, and subscribe. Like, comment, and subscribe. <laughs> Don't forget to hit the bell icon. It, 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 it lacks a certain something, doesn't it? Yeah. Said, said the guy who's recording a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, we should probably talk about the contents of the letter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just I think we should. I, I think this perform. is an interesting chapter, and I, I actually agree with the way the NIV um, and the NLT have put it as concluding exhortations or concluding words. Um, I, I think it's difficult to put the to select the most important of these uh, this eclectic uh, collection of, uh, of, mm. of comments and say oh well that's the that's the point of chapter 13. It, it seems to me he's just wanting to throw a whole bunch of things in, some of which he's spoken about earlier, some of which perhaps he hasn't in great detail, but he just wants to make sure uh, Look, I think these are all important things that we need to remember as well. I've, mm. I've been building this great big argument, uh, mm. but don't forget about these other uh, things as, <laughs> as well. Uh, I sort of get the feeling that some of them are things that, that the author has had in their mind and has realised they forgot to put in the right place. Yeah. Especially this verse. Especially this verse. You know, remember, the, the under the old system, the high priest brought the blood of the animals into the whole <laughs> place. Back to he, early he killed them outside the camp. Oh, and Jesus was killed outside the city. It, that that would have been in, in place a couple of chapters ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes, he just sort of does an overview of, of all that stuff that was in the early Hebrew chapters about... Yeah. About the the old tabernacle and the new tabernacle and the the, the temporary sacrifices and the permanent mm. sacrifice and all the all of it's just a quick a quick reminder of that. It's not really connected, is it, to the first verses of the chapter, which are very much about, and, and then the last few verses. The earlier verses of the chapter follow through different aspects of the Jewish faith and and interpret them in the light of Christ. And there are one or two new ones in this chapter. Uh, one of them is in verse ten. The author refers to the fact that the animals that were sacrificed for tithes and offerings were, were eaten by the people. This is what we talked about when we were looking at Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy 12 and then I think 14 or 15. Uh, people would bring the, their tithes and offering sacrifices. Um, not all sacrifices were eaten by the people, but a fair portion of them. You brought them, you killed the animal, and then you ate it, um, with part of it set aside for the Levites and the priests. Um, 
So a reference is made to that in verse 10. And this is sort of one of the elements of the Jewish faith that hasn't been really drawn out from. Uh, but what the author is saying here is that we have an altar. Uh, we have a source of nourishment and of redemption and spiritual experience from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. This does seem to to get back to the central idea that that there is something transformative about the incarnation event. Hmm. I want to draw our attention to verse 9 because I find it a fascinating little thought. Hmm. Somewhat somewhat in 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 it of itself because that's the one about uh, not being carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It says, so do not be attracted by strange new ideas. Your strength comes from God's grace. So far, so good. Not from rules about food, which don't help those who follow them. I would point out that at this point in the Christian church's history, not caring about the rules about food is a strange new idea. Mm. And, well, the whole Christian faith is a strange new idea, isn't <laughs> all, it? All of Hebrews is strange new ideas. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a weird statement. Don't you think? I don't understand it. Obviously, we're not meant to care about the strange new ideas, Luke, that are in error. But the <laughs> it, it, it does say, "Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings," suggesting that perhaps <laughs> right. it's we, we, we should get carried away with some kinds of strange teachings. Well, I like that translation more than the, than the, <laughs> the New Living Translation in this case. Yeah. So I think in some sense, Luke, that that verse, that phrase is anchoring itself back in verse 8 that comes before it, saying mm. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So it's, I think, trying to say there's a constancy in Jesus. So mm. in Jesus, the character of Christ. Yeah, Jesus himself has in some ways been this strange new idea. It's it's upended everything that we've seen before. It's totally reconfigured the way we look at our our Hebrew tradition, the priests and the angels and the covenants and all of the different things that the author of Hebrews has stepped us through. There's been a big upheaval, but the author here is sort of saying, well, okay, but that's happened now. Jesus is now a, con a new constant, a fundamental constant. And so there's a certain level of of anchoring in Jesus means that we don't expect the same kind of upheaval to come in the same way again. So there's that element. But the one that I that I thought you were going to say is when it said don't be attracted by strange new ideas, I thought you were going to critique us. I think that we tend to be attracted by well, strange new ideas. I mean us specifically, the four yes. of us on this podcast. We, no, we quite I, like I, playing I, with I, new I ideas. I think you're right. I, I think this verse could be wielded against us as, <laughs> as a weapon well and our listeners may wish to do that and if they if they wish to they should um email us at the address sabbathschoolfromhome at gmail.com now we actually have had some comments sent to that address uh one of them from me um with something that i was <laughs> not to leave out one of them from me with a comment that luke made after one of our recordings a few weeks ago, which I thought I would draw out from him, and one of them oh, from you, Ken. You, you could have thrown that one away, I'm sure. No, it's a good one. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring it back to you. So, uh, Ken, I don't know if you can remember what the comment you're you're gonna make is, but it might spring to your mind as I. It's too long ago, Ken. I don't. I'll, I'll tell you what it is. So now, um, things are in a bad state when we are writing comments to ourselves about our own podcast. So, <laughs> rescue us from this. If you have any idea that. Uh, you think interesting at all please email it uh, to sabbathschoolfromhome at gmail.com uh, the point that I thought of which I wanted to remember was that um, 
when we started Hebrews, we said, oh, look, uh, the author of Hebrews is going through the elements of Judaism and is explaining how these things instruct us about Christ. The angels. Well, Christ is a bit like the angels. Uh, Moses. Well, God's a, Christ delivered his people like Moses delivered the Israelites. The Sabbath. Well, Christ brings rest. Um, the promised land. Well, Christ is the real promised land. Uh, and uh, uh, the sentiment with which we started our, our season was that uh, these touch points of the Jewish faith are being used to enlighten the um, listener about the nature of Christ. I don't think that's the case at all. I think that the author is not emphasizing the sufficiency of these things to explain Christ, but the insufficiency. He's not endorsing them as a good model of Christ. He's pointing out at every point how they fall short, how Christ is so much better and so much different. I think, is the correct word to say it's a polemic when you're arguing against something? I think that might be right. Yeah. Mm. So so when, when we look in chapter 1 about the angels, the emphasis, and if you go back and read it, the emphasis is not saying, oh, look at the angels because they'll help you teach, teach you about Christ. What he's saying is the angels are nothing like Christ. You know, to mm. who, to which of the angels did did God say you're my son? Uh, and and what about Moses or the people entering the promised land? Oh well, you know, the promised land, that wasn't the real promised land, because mm. otherwise God would never talked about a rest that's still to come. And you know, what about all those people following Moses? Well, they all perished in the wilderness. Um, they never really got mm. what they, they were looking for. Uh, what about the priestly tradition? Well, you know, he's like a priest, except the priests, remember, they have to sacrifice for their own sins, and Christ doesn't have to do that. And the priests have to pra- uh, sacrifice regularly, and Christ doesn't have to do that. Christ is something so much bigger. So that the emphasis here is not on let's look at all these images from the Jewish faith and see what they can teach us about Christ's mission in the positive sense. Or at least it's partly that, but is at least as much. What can they teach us in the negative sense? In which, in which sense are they bad examples? And the reason why I mm. want to draw this out is, um, as an Adventist church following the lead of Ellen White, when we go through all the metaphors or images that are used to describe Christ's mission, purpose, ministry, we uh, place a great emphasis on the sanctuary and only discuss those elements where the sanctuary provides what we regard to be an accurate picture of what Christ's ministry is. And that is out of keeping with the with the theme of Hebrews. The thrust of Hebrews on all the other metaphors... very good point. The thrust of Hebrews on all the other metaphors is not that these things are a good picture for Christ. It's that they are an insufficient picture for Christ. Is, there, is this applicable at all to the sanctuary? If we look at Hebrews 9 uh, and we look at... Verse 8, that earthly sanctuary had two uh, sections, oh, the holy that's and... Exactly, the ho- that's exactly the verse you were making me think of. Ken. Yeah, it had the holy and the most holy place. And this was necessary. By this, the Holy Spirit indicated that the way into the holy place is not yet opened. So one of the mm. points of the earthly sanctuary was to emphasize to us that you you don't actually have access to God. Right. There, there, there's that one, and there's multiple other ones in Hebrews as well. Yeah, well, in verse 11, it says, when Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things that have come through the greater and more perfect tent. So what, hmm. what the author of Hebrews is saying is, for its time and place, the tabernacle was an expression of what God wanted to achieve in his people. Uh, but it is not a good model. Um, 
was going to say, there's that one, and there's multiple others as well. I remember one very early on where different translations... I'll, I'll go and look for it, and we can cut out some yeah. of this. It was in Hebrews... It was early on in Hebrews, and we had quite a long discussion about how different translations... Some said the most holy place, some just said... Oh, that was, I think, Hebrews 9. Was that 9? Yeah. Um, when Christ... He entered once for all into the holy places. That's verse 12 of chapter oh, 9. Oh, the holy places. Yeah. yeah. Some said holy place. Some said holy places. Some said most holy place. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. You're right. It is in 9. Um, there's that. But there's multiple other allusions as well to the idea that essentially the, the, the real tabernacle is not divided into two places. Yes. You're right. And all that stuff about, about the, the curtain being torn. Yeah. Hmm. As well. And and Luke, I know what you're thinking of in the earlier chapters. In those earlier chapters, even I think in the opening paragraph to Hebrews, there is an emphasis that Christ is in close proximity to God. He has immediate access to God. Mm. In in the sort of euphoric um, description of Christ. Yeah. I, I think it's a fantastic insight to say that Hebrews is about how the the old covenant was an imperfect model. Yeah. And not not imperfect at all points. So uh, no. it's not without instructional value. And the Hebrews goes to some effort to point out the parts that are good. But but Hebrews is saying, um, don't think that you can be content with that old model. There is something more and bigger and, and, and larger then. And, and it's not constrained by the limitations that were there in the in the imperfect yeah. you know model uh so uh that's that puts a different spin on on the sort of view as we're looking at the book now as a whole on the big picture narrative of it i heard someone um in a different sabbath school conversation i believe a few weeks ago this quarter um express it this way the author of hebrews is articulating that in the light of jesus experiencing Jesus, you can go back and make some sense of that which came before. Sometimes the Adventist church has done it backwards and has argued that you can make sense of Jesus's ministry in the light of the structures, rituals, hmm. forms, and, and patterns of the old system. The, the argument, that argument is backwards for the author of Hebrews. Yeah, for at, least, at least argued from the book of Hebrews, yes. Mm. And and the author of Hebrews goes to some point to point this out. Um, you know, mm. if you were to start with the priestly tradition, well, you'd end up with the sacrifice that happened every day, and was ongoing. That's where you'd end up with. But that's not the real thing. Uh, and this is true with all the other metaphors that are, are picked up. Ken, your comment that you emailed in was with reference to a passage you'd been reading from Revelation, uh, where it described the heavenly city. And the and the heavenly temple. Carry on. Uh, <laughs> I haven't really, anything yet. Ken's really interested to learn about <laughs> his idea. <laughs> uh, it was Revelation twelve, was it? Uh, no, it was Revelation uh, twenty one twenty two. Twenty one twenty two. That's it. I knew it had a one and a two in it. Uh, yeah. Ah, yeah. That I thought that was interesting. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. Are its temple, yeah. And one would have thought that if there was this temple, even if it was one not made by human hands, in the city where John, when he was up there in the New Jerusalem, would have seen it. 
Um, yeah. Well, there's another detail there. Um, it, I don't have the verse at hand, but Revelation in that passage describes the New Jerusalem as being cubic. Yeah. Geometrically, it's as high as it is wide as it is long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's a very bizarre way to describe a city. But it it's, turns it's out very um, uh, Assyrian. Yeah. Well, it turns out that the most holy place was of cubic. the Old Testament tabernacle was cubic, uh, and it seems to me that that it may be continuing this idea that Cam you are pulling out of yeah. Hebrews. Um, the old system was emphasizing that the way had not yet opened, but in Jesus the way is open, and at the fulfillment of all things, it's not just open. We dwell. In yeah. the most holy place, because that is the city and, of God's people. And one of the one of the points of Hebrews is that uh, the God, the way God's at work is actually a bit surprising. Uh, Christ is the true revelation of God in comparison to the angels revealing God's messages. But you wouldn't think so, would you? A child born on a dusty street in a small village, compared with these, you know, overwhelming heavenly beings. Um, and you might not think that Christ really was the real deliverer. And we talked about this last week. You know, he died on a cross and the people stayed subject to the Romans. So, and, and you might not feel like we are living in the most holy place, but that's, we, we are living with, we, we can approach God with confidence is what it says in Hebrews. Can this, uh, uh, reading from your comment now, it, uh, which you wrote just while you were reading the book by Bonhoeffer, Cost of Discipleship. Uh, you said, Bonhoeffer says, a temple is a place where the presence of God dwells among his people. He points out, Bonhoeffer also points out that this is where humans encounter God. Both these characteristics exist in the body of Christ, which is built out of living stones, 1 Peter 2.5, um, of which Christ is the sole foundation and cornerstone. In fact, uh, he is in his person the temple, a reference you've listed here, Ephesians 2.21. Uh, and Bonhoeffer concludes the temple of God is the holy people in Jesus Christ. The body of Christ, his church, the collection of people, is the living temple of God and of the new humanity. Mm. Mm. I now remember. Mm. Good, but it's just <laughs> as well you did send the comment in because I think that that's very profound. Um, Luke, I'm now going to throw your comment back at you, which you didn't even take note of, but I did because I liked it. We were talking about Hebrews 11 and uh, where we had some issue with these heroes of faith uh, because a lot of them were just wrong a lot of the time, about what they thought God was doing in the world. And uh, you made this comment. Uh, correctness of doctrine or belief is not equivalent to faith. <laughs> and I liked it enough to write it down. I thought that that was, that was very good. Because uh, when we talk about keeping the faith, we usually mean adhering to correct doctrine. I, I want to pick up on that, Cam, because it's so important, and it does come out here in Hebrews 13. Um, uh and it, and it comes out in that passage that we're looking at, do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. Uh, and that that passage comes at the end of verses uh, uh, 5 um, through to 8, uh, which say, keep your lives free from the love of money, be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So I say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid, what can man do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you, and that's not a statement that's in isolation. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. 
Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Now, sometimes we say Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. And we say that means that we should hold and believe the same things constant through time because God doesn't change. Jesus doesn't change. Uh, that's nothing like what the author of Hebrews is in fact saying here. Uh, he's not talking about having consistent doctrine. He's not talking over time. He's not talking about um, uh, beliefs not changing uh, with circumstances as they arise. What he's talking and, and change, what he's talking about is the consistency of the faithfulness of God and of Christ throughout time, through changing circumstances, and specifically saying to us, we need to make sure that we hold fast and hold true to that now in this time and apply it specifically here uh, to us. Now, that's what he's saying. And what he's saying, and, and that's very clear when you say, he says, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Mm. Um, mm. So look at the at, at what how their lives finished in all sorts of different ways. Some sawn in two, some, some not. But the constancy in all of it with the outcomes mm. at the end of their lives, even though they didn't see what they were looking for, for one reason or another, mm. uh, is that God was there and God was faithful and he never, he, he, he never left them and he never forsook them um, and he was always there and he was always, he, he, he was always their helper. Now, that all sounds, and, and I've said that with great passion and I believe it, uh, but it is not an easy thing to see. Mm -hmm. mm. When we look at, when you are being sawn in two, mm. um, it is not I think, easy to say, God is with me and he will not forsake me and he has not forsaken me. Hmm. When you're not meeting your mortgage payments and the bank's going to repossess your house, in to put hmm. it in our modern terms, uh, and the sorts of things hmm. that are important to us. Um, uh, when you've been... I, I just, when you've just, had people... I think not being sawed in half is still fairly important. Well, it probably is. It, it probably is, but it's not It's not the sort of threat that we face uh, much these days, True. although in True. some places there are existential threats to the individual yeah. that are very serious. Um, and that God doesn't seem to step in and change. This, this brings me back to Hebrews 11 and verse 6. Uh because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. What is the reward? And it's the reward we I discussed this previously was God himself is that reward. Mm -hmm. But that is not an easy thing to see and to come to. At least it's mm. not been for me. Uh, because uh, in a world where I can, uh, you know, touch my wife's shoulder uh, and, you know, she can put a toe on my leg in the bed and there's that mm. you know physical interaction um in a world where i can hear a podcast uh where mm. i can experience the sound waves imparting thoughts to me uh from other other contributors in that material way in that very tangible way the the existence of god and his presence and faithfulness is something that involves a different level of 
interpretation uh, to the very direct access we have to the material world. And that makes it a very difficult thing to do. And it's recognised as difficult when we look at Thomas, um, mm. who says, I want to put my hands in his hands and in his side. And, and, and it's recognised by Moses even, uh, who says, I, I want to see God. Um, mm. uh, and, 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 and there are these. So it, it's a really difficult thing to do. It's, one, it's, it's my major complaint at the moment, you might be able to tell, that I, my whinge to God is you are not tangible. Now, mm. not tangible in a way that's reliably ascertainable, it seems to me, because the, the way that I choose to say people are reliable is that uh, they don't saw me in two, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, that they, uh, you know, that they, they, that they do good things for me um, yeah. or things that I interpret as good things. And, and, and it seems to me in that sense, oh, I, I don't want to be blasphemous here. Uh, but there's a sense in which, in those sorts of ways, God is not reliable. Yeah, I mean, can, I know it brings us back to theodicies and all of that. But yeah, well, can the, uh, there's another way. There's another evidence for the Bible that this is actually quite a tricky thing, and that is, it was obviously tricky enough that someone had to write a 13 chapter letter explaining that it was so in the Book of Hebrews. Um, and whenever you encounter someone who says, clearly, X, Y, Z, well, it wasn't so clear that they thought we would already know it, was it? Because they had to s- tell it to us. And there's mm. there's no more awful word, that, I think I've mentioned this previously, but there's no more awful word than the word clearly when you're reading a maths journal. Because it was obviously <laughs> it was obviously clear to the person who wrote it, and after struggling with it for four months, you finally see why this step leads to that step, and you say, "Yeah, it is clear." Um, yeah. But if it is really clear, there's no need to say it. Um, mm. And so the fact that the author of Hebrews has gone to some length to say, "Hey, there's a spiritual world that is as real, m- more real." Even more real than all these things that you've things like priests and and temples and Moses and Sabbath days and these are the things that you encounter every day, and you experience them, you see them and touch them, but they're not actually the real thing. Um, that in maths we'd say that requires proof, which means that mm. we think it's not self-evident, mm. and that seems to be one of the sentiments in in terms of the exhortation and certainly one of the objects of this book seems to be an exhortation to stay true um i uh, recently delved back into our archive and used uh, the podcast episode we did i think it was the second one in the series on deuteronomy about the um uh, i used it in a sermon um about the children being told that when they entered the promised land they could only worship god in one place very strictly that it's only happened in one place. And then two and a half tribes built an altar somewhere else. And um, mm-hmm. this was interpreted as an act of... Blasphemy. A, a, yeah, blasphemy and apostasy and infidelity and all sorts... War. And war. And, and the tribes were going <clears throat> to fight everyone <throat> over this. And it, it turned out that the two and a half tribes had built this altar not to sacrifice and they weren't going to use it for sacrifices. It was just going to be a symbol that even though they, they were living on the other side of the Jordan, that they were part of Israel and, and had a share in Israel's God. They were worried that because God had said, you're only going to worship me in one place, and they were on the other side of the Jordan, that the everyone else might stop them crossing the Jordan at some point in the future to come and worship. And they said, well, we'll build this 
altered as a memorial. Um, it turns out that everyone in that scenario was trying to stay true to God. But the expression, the way it found out, the way it eventuated, was quite different to what people thought it would. And, and mm. the moral of that story is that the book of Hebrews and the Bible as a whole does not call us to be true to a particular list of fundamentals. It doesn't ask us to be true to a particular mode or expression or style of worshipping God or a particular time for a divine service or a particular uh, pattern of dress. Uh, It doesn't even necessarily ask us to stay true to um, core belief elements as abstract ideas. It asks us to stay true to God. That's the, that's the, that's the point Hebrews is is building towards. Is that Christ is the real thing, and against all evidence to the contrary, it, it is actually the real thing. And you need to you need to stay true to Christ, and that hmm. that at times might involve novel or new or in, or strange ideas. It might involve some strange teachings, um, <laughs> but not strange teachings about Christ. Yeah. And and also when it when it talked about um, you know what sort of te- how do you know which are the strange teachings and which are the strange teachings that are good or bad, um, it's pretty clear that the sort of ideas that God likes are those that lead to us helping people. That's also in Hebrews yeah, I thirteen. Was, I was going to draw it. Yeah, I, I think we're getting close to the end of this episode, but I think we have to draw attention to that, Luke. You already did as you read it, but the the opening verses carry exactly the same sort of exhortation keep loving each other as brothers and sisters don't forget to show hospitality to strangers and remember those in prison and those being mistreated the first three verses here are equally connected to those you know the 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 themes that are somewhat and and usually when this term is used it's used derisively the social gospel (laughs) um, as if somehow it's it's of lesser significance worthy because yeah i mean it's it's caring about people it is the core of of the practical outcome of all of the ideas that Hebrews has been exploring, according to the book of Hebrews. That's what it seems to me. Um, yeah. You know, as a result of all of this stuff I've been talking about with historical references to temples and angels and promised lands, the output, the outcome is going to be keep on loving each other. Can. Love, for, look after those who are mistreated. <laughs> Ken, getting back to your comment, it seems then that we are invited to make God more tangible to those around us. Oh, Ooh. oh. Cam, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Lachlan, you mentioned the verses up the front, but I think the ones that really say it very clearly are um, 15 and 16 mm-hmm. together. Because in... and and, and the, the the reference there's a reference to sacrifice in both verses. So in fifteen you say, therefore let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God. Mm-hmm. What is a sacrifice that praises God? Verse sixteen, uh, proclaiming our allegiance to His name. Verse sixteen, and don't forget to do good and to share with those in those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. So how do we praise God and proclaim our allegiance to Him? We do good and share with those in need. Yeah, and it's that phrasing, clear. that phrasing, these are the sacrifices that please God. I think it's that phrasing more than anything else that is so direct uh, and and in, in, reminiscent of and invoking that that package of the prophets, the Old Testament prophets, who who spend some time exploring this exact idea. You know what 
What does the Lord require of you? What is a sacrifice yeah. that's pleasing to the Lord? Yeah. Ken, I remember you asked, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, about sort of what does it mean to believe in God? What does it mean to have faith in God? I think verses 15 and 16 give us a very big clue to that. Hmm. If you are the sort of person who believes that it is important to do good and help those in need, and you try and do that, you are demonstrating faith in God. Because there's often no reward for that sort of thing. Hmm. There's no self-interested reason to do it. It has no practical purpose in terms of benefiting yourself or your own survival. It's an expression of belief in the idea of a universal concept of good. Indeed, all... in love. Yeah. A concept of good that exists outside of and above our own context. It's not relative good. It is absolute good. And its existence would would be true even if there were no humans in existence to observe it. Hmm. Yeah. I think that is faith in God. I think there's also in these verses, Luke, which I think you identify, I, I, I dismissively refer to this chapter as the denouement, and I don't think it is the denouement. I think, I think in verses 15 and 16, we, we are getting to the essential issue um, in the book of Hebrews. Um, but the, Hebrews has talked at this point a fair bit about sacrifices that please God and the sacrifices, the daily ones that never really worked. And a Christ sacrifice that that achieved a reconciliation that the early ones weren't. So when we're to seek for sacrifices that please God, we're being called to emulate Christ. And of course, Christ's entire mission was selfless. He came to do good to others and to share with those in need. Uh, and so being able to achieve that level of interest in the well-being of those around us um, is an incarnational experience. We are, we are, every time we do that, God is again incarnate um, through his church sometimes and sometimes through individuals and sometimes in individuals in some ways and not through others. We, we all have faults. But, but when we are able to, to um, yeah, sacrifice our own interests uh, in favour of those around us, then, then we are really being Christ uh, on earth. That's maybe a good sentiment to stop on. But if Ken, if you've got a better no, no, one, I don't it. know that I do. Um, but I just wonder whether or not we might finish with um, a prayer for ourselves uh, and yeah. our listeners. Um, yeah. a, a an un an unrehearsed prayer, but not an uninformed one. I think from our reading of Hebrews. So uh, mm. let, let me let me call on you, God of the universe, um, uh, who spoke in the Old Testament. Uh, who spoke through the authors in the New Testament, including Hebrews, that we've uh, been delighted in discussing, um, uh, who came into the world in the person of Jesus Christ, uh, greater than any religious experience uh, that we might construct, um, and uh, made your presence known and manifest in the world. Um greater than even angels, uh, greater than the um, uh, religious heroes um, of our times and of the past, um, uh, greater than any uh, church or doctrine, um, uh, strange teaching, uh, 
um, uh, greater because of your faithfulness, your consistency, uh, because you are a God of love, uh, looking for the good in the world. Um, and we look for you. Uh, we struggle sometimes to see you. Um, and when we do, we know that you inhabit our praises. And so we praise you for all of those great things and we live our lives in a way that will demonstrate your desire for good for the world. And we conclude our discussion of Hebrews in your presence with these words, grace be with you all. Amen. 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 Thank you.